Claudette Colvin. Do you know her? I didn't know her either until Tim Sorens brought her to my attention. Claudette doesn't have any museums or holidays named after her, but maybe one day she will. No doubt you've heard of Rosa Parks, the woman who was dragged off the bus in Montgomery, Alabama for refusing to give up her seat to a white person. What many people don't know is that nine months earlier, that very same thing happened to Claudette. That's right, on March the 15th, 1955, on her way home from school, this 15-year-old high school student, Claudette, took a seat on a bus in Montgomery, and the bus driver asked her to get up off that seat and give it to a white person. She refused. In a television interview I watched, she said it felt like Harriet Tubman was on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth was holding her other shoulder, and she felt that she was absolutely glued to the seat. She said, I could hear the passengers on the bus saying, you got to move, you've got to move, it's the law. But she added, I just felt like this is my time, my time to take a stand for what is right, a stand for justice. Well, within minutes, her books were flying in the air and two police officers were on the bus. They handcuffed her and started to drag her off the bus. Without fighting back or saying harsh words, she simply said, this is my constitutional right. But that didn't keep her from ending up in the adult jail at the police station. And while in lockup, she said, those were the longest hours of my life because I was terrified. She said that she prayed the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm over and over and over all the while hoping that somehow her family would know that she was in jail because she had not been given the opportunity to make a phone call. Thankfully, her schoolmates spread the word around the neighborhood. And when Claudette's mother, Mary Ann, found out that she was in jail, well, she was frantic. So she called her pastor, Reverend H.H. Johnson, who had a car, and together they raced to the police station and Claudette's pastor was able to bail her out of jail. He said, Claudette, I am so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom. We have all been praying for it, but you are different. I think you have just brought this revolution to Montgomery. Now, most people don't know Claudette's name, but her grit and resolve helped to lay the groundwork. It helped prepare the soil for the Montgomery bus boycott, for Martin Luther King's legendary speeches, and eventually for the signing of the Civil Rights Act in 1963. To many people, Claudette is a model whose courage was on display that day as she faced the giant of segregation and centuries of racism behind it. Yes, Claudette had courage in the face of her fears. She didn't have heavy artillery. She wasn't gifted with prestige, money, or power. But the stones that she had that day were her dignity, a strong awareness of justice, hard-fought courage, and a very real faith in God. Not unlike a young boy named David back in the edges of history who took on a giant one day and won. Yes, David is one of the most well-known characters in the Bible, and for good reason. He is Israel's greatest king, 
a gifted politician, a military strategist. He was brave and compelling and attractive and utterly flawed. Yes, he was so very human. It's almost embarrassing how human he was. We will be reflecting on his life and what it teaches us about the faith over the next few weeks. But today, we start on a battlefield. When David, a young shepherd boy, was young, perhaps of middle school age, and Israel is in trouble. They're in a war with their neighbors, the Philistines. The Hebrews were often at war with the Philistines, and this time the two armies were eyeing each other from opposing hilltops with this broad valley in between. Now, the Philistines had two advantages, imported iron weapons and an enormous warrior named Goliath. First, the weaponry. The Philistines were some of the first peoples to use iron. And when a bronze and wooden sword hits iron, it shatters. So Israel was at a real disadvantage. But as James Howell says, God is not undone by technological advances. Technology will never produce courage and it will never produce availability for God. Yes, Israel was at a disadvantage, technologically speaking, but they would soon have David, one who was courageous and available to be used by God. The second advantage the Philistines had was this warrior, this champion named Goliath. And each day he would come out into the open and he would hurl taunts and insults at Israel to challenge them to send their own champion to face him in battle. This practice was not uncommon as a way to decide conflicts through individual combat and may have served to stop more widespread loss of life. That sounds pretty smart to me. But everyone was absolutely terrified of Goliath. No one volunteered to fight him. Why? Well, for starters, listen to chapter 17, starting at verse 4. He, Goliath, was more than nine feet tall. What? He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore bronze scale armor weighing 125 pounds. He had bronze plates on his shins and a bronze javelin that hung down his back. And his spear shaft was strong and the head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. He was terrifying. I imagine he was like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo, Mr. T, and the abominable snowman all in one. I mean, even his name creates fear in the hearts of those who saw him on the battlefield, as well as those who know the story. Yes, Goliath was powerful, and he was covered head to toe. He had the whole armor, but it was not the whole armor of God. Even so, the more Goliath is sure of himself, the more Israel becomes intimidated. The more verbose and pompous Goliath becomes, Israel became more dismayed and afraid. For Goliath represents fear, our fears, really big problems, the problems of the world, the ones that keep us up at night, like illness or aging, addiction, financial ruin, failures or loneliness. And when I really can't sleep, Goliath appears to me as climate change, or the long-term effects of the coronavirus, or systematic racism. How about you? What are your giants? 
we all have them. One of my giants, a giant that particularly reared its ugly head eight years ago, just as I was joining the staff here at Hyde Park, was my fear of inadequacy. I was doubting myself, and I had a very real fear that I would not be able to effectively do the job that Bernie leaving was, well, leaving. I mean, he had been on staff for nearly 20 years. And I made the comment that he had big, gigantic shoes that needed filling. And his wife, Dorothy, who at the time was, well, struggling with her own giants, her own health issues, Dorothy said to me, don't try to fill his shoes, dance in your own. Oh, Dorothy, what a gift you gave me that day. It was just the stone of confidence that I needed to slay that particular giant. And from time to time, I have to remind myself of her words. Friends, don't try to be somebody else, but joyfully, faithfully dance, work, and serve in your own shoes. Yes, Dorothy inspired me that day. So who are you? being called to encourage and give confidence to in your life right now. Don't be afraid to share a word of hope and reassurance with them. So back to Goliath and the Israelites. In their intense moment of danger, Israel is overwhelmed. They're intimidated by this giant. They don't know what to do. They're quaking in fear. They're wringing their hands. They look down at their feet. What do we do? We look at our phones, we go shopping, we change the subject because it's overwhelming. There are real giants in this world, real problems, and I believe God wants someone with availability and courage to respond. Maybe God is calling you right now through this story to respond faithfully to some frightening giant that you can name. I think that is what Claudette Colvin did on the bus that day in 1955, and it's certainly what David did. You see, David, at the time of this story, was a young shepherd boy. Remember? Three of his older brothers were serving in the army, and his father sent him to the front lines to bring supplies, to take provisions to his brothers. Some bread, some cheese, maybe some clean underwear and a granola bar. I don't know, but that is why he is there. It is not because he's a warrior. He is too young to enlist. He's only a boy. But David saw that huge bully. He heard the insults hurled at Israel and at the God he loved. And so he volunteers to take on that giant. David went out to defend God's honor. He was gonna show the world that God is great. And King Saul? King Saul reluctantly allows David to fight Goliath, but that's only because no one else volunteered. And so Saul offers David the use of his armor. That's pretty ridiculous, though. David is a boy. He's not fully grown. How in the world can David wear Saul's armor? David knew it wouldn't fit. He knew that if he tried to wear it, he would sacrifice part of himself and part of his confidence, and therefore some of his power if he pretended to be something he wasn't. I can't go out with these. So he took off Saul's armor and he readied himself to meet Goliath with his own weaponry, his own skill. 
he went out as his own exposed self. Now, Goliath, he's fully covered in protective gear. Very little of him was exposed, but he has one vulnerable spot, just one, right here, his forehead. And that is where David took aim. You see, in that moment, David could have let his fears overshadow his hope and courage, but he didn't. When he faced Goliath, he remembered deep in his soul how God had been with him in the pasture protecting the sheep from lions and bears. He remembered how God had been with Israel throughout their history and made a way when there was no way. God sent plagues on Pharaoh, parted the sea so the Israelites could escape from slavery. God brought them through the wilderness and into the promised land. And God wasn't going to leave them now. David remembered. He remembered that God is faithful. He remembered that God is present. And he remembered that God equips us with what we need for the task at hand. Yes, David remembered. He didn't need a lot of protective gear. All he needed was a smooth stone from the river and to send it flying. Well, it worked. David prevailed over Goliath with one small stone of courage and a deep faith in God. He acted in the name of and the power of the living God, the same God who is active in the world today. So what is the purpose of David's victory? Is it simply for Israel to defeat the Philistines? No, I think it's more than that. It's a proclamation on the greatness of God in the eyes of the world. Walter Brueggemann put it this way, David bears witness to the rule of Yahweh and calls Israel away from its intimidation of the nations and calls the nations away from their foolish defiance of God. It's a missionary speech summoning Israel and the nations to fresh faith in God. Friends, it is the same summons that comes to us, to you and to me today. So here's a thought. Later today, sometime this week, go outside and find yourself a stone. Put that stone in your pocket. Carry it around with you. And whenever your hand touches it or your eyes gaze upon it, think about David. Think about God. Spend some time wondering how God is calling and equipping you even now to face your giants. And also think about how great God is. Will you pray with me? Our faith in you, O God, is strengthened today in our reflection upon the experience of David and his encounter with this giant Goliath. David was available, vulnerable, and faithful as a witness for you. When giants are before us, help us to remember to have that same attitude and remind us that you are present with us always and you equip us with what we need for the journey ahead. Amen.